You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. God bless the music. Thank you for entertaining us in the presence of God. You all may be seated if you like, or you can stay in the altar. Entirely up to you. Next, we're going to introduce our guest speaker. Brother Bernard, Daniel Bernard, he was raised in Austin, Texas. He currently resides in St. Louis, Missouri. He's a devout husband to his wife, Kaylee, and a devout father to his two daughters, Claire and Elise. He's currently the promotions coordinator for UPCI North American Missions. He's a former student pastor at Royal Wood Church in Houston, Texas. He's a former sectional youth leader, former district youth secretary, and former South Texas youth president. His love and passion for music, specifically the drums, started when he was around the age of seven. And if you haven't checked out his YouTube page, check out his YouTube page. If you're a music fan, if you're a fan of the drums, check out his page. Brother Bernard is a man of many talents, and we are so blessed and honored to have him in his ministry with us this weekend. So I'm going to invite him to come and minister the word of the Lord. Let's make him feel welcome tonight. Amen. Thank you for such a kind introduction. And I don't want to belabor a moment or a point, but I felt same thing in my spirit that uh, has already been stated, so I want to do something a little different. If you don't mind, just stand with me just for one more moment, because what I want to say right now is not meant to be an admonition to any of us in this place, but I think it's meant to be a challenge to us, because uh, I feel, if I can say it this way again, not in a derogatory sense, but I almost feel a tension in my spirit, a tension in what God is is doing, and I believe that it was felt by everyone in this place. And so what I want us to do, because I believe there's going to be a shift in the spirit, not because I am a good speaker, not because of what I have, but because we all come in unity together. Amen. I believe that the rest of this service, God is going to speak to people. God is going to call people. God is going to anoint someone. God is planning to use someone and release them. But I believe the thing that would hold and hinder that back is us not being unified in our worship, us not being unified in our spirit. So you may have come tonight a little bit unsure of what to expect. Well, let me just tell you right now, we are going to get into the presence of God together before I move on and doing anything else. So this team has led us in an amazing way. This worship team has done an incredible job. But I wonder if just for a few moments, without the leading of a lyric, without the leading of an instrument, if we could right where we are come in unity together, would you just raise your hands and begin to give God some worship from your spirit? Because I believe he wants to move, but I believe we have to come into unity with one another and say, God, if you're going to do something tonight, I want you to do it in me, God. I may be 12 years old, God, but if you're going to speak tonight, I want you to speak to me. Lord, I may be 50 years old in this place tonight, but God, if you're going to move in this in the spirit, I want you to move on my spirit. Yes, that's it. For just another moment, let's just worship God together. God, we come in one accord in this place. God, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray that you would move in this place. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be released. Lord, I pray that there would be a liberty in this place. I pray for a liberty in prayer. Yes, that's it. God, I pray for a liberty, a release of your spirit among every person. God, every young man, every young woman, in the name of Jesus, let your spirit flow freely, God. 
Speak to us tonight, Lord. Let there be a calling, God. Let there be an anointing, Lord. Let your spirit move, God, freely among us, God. In Jesus' name, yes, for just another moment. I don't care if it's a little uncomfortable. It's for us to cry out. I'm not worried about being comfortable. I want the Spirit of God, and I wonder if there's someone else that's not here for your comfort, that's not here for your preference, that's not here to play church, that's not here just to hear a good message, but do you want the presence of God? God, I need you tonight, Lord. God, I love you tonight, Jesus. God, I need your presence in my life, in my spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, oh Lord, I worship you tonight. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your presence that's already here in such a a special way, God. In the name of Jesus, oh Lord, move upon us tonight. Move upon us tonight. Yes, that's it. Oh, the Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of God is touching somebody. I just can't feel the release in my spirit to move forward. I've got a word from God tonight, I believe, but I believe that he wants to do something right now in you simply because you said, here I am, God. I'm available. I don't need the right prompting. I don't need to sing the perfect song. I don't need to sing my favorite song. If you are moving, I'm worshiping. Yes, God, we're hungry tonight. Yes, God, we desire you tonight. Above all else, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, oh God, I feel your presence. Amen. If you want to remain standing, I'm going to move quickly into the word of God. But I believe that God is just getting started tonight and that he wants to speak to somebody. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 8. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, a familiar passage. I want to say thank you uh, to my wonderful host. I've already got to hang out with several uh, people and my friends, Brother Cody, Brother Evan, uh, so thankful for your representation of this church and, and welcoming me to youth president, Brother Brewer. I'm excited to be here with you, my friend. And uh, Pastor Carter, I know he's not here yet, but I actually saw him in St. Louis, and so I give, uh, give honor to him. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 8 says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I am a Philistine champion, but you are just the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. My message title tonight is, wake up. A giant is calling. Look at somebody and say, wake up. Say it a little more emphatically, wake up. A giant is calling. You can be seated tonight. I want to begin tonight with a question for you, and you may not feel comfortable answering this out loud or answering this in the affirmative by a raising of hand, but I want you just to think in your spirit, how many of you have a desire to have the call of God on your life? How many of you have a desire to know what God's will is for your life? You could be 13 or 30 or 60 and say, you know what, I want to know What is the will of God for my life? How many of you don't know, let me say it this way, how many of you don't know exactly what God has called you to do? You don't have to raise your hand necessarily, but just think about it. How many of you, you you come to a church service and you're like, God, I just want to know. If I knew what to do, I would do it. We've heard stories of people said, I, God called me to do this. God called me to preach. God called me 
to minister and we hear stories of such a specific nature of the calling of God sometimes I believe that in the lives of young people and young adults especially it leads to a frustration because we want to know exactly what we're called to do I want to talk to you about these concepts tonight of of God's calling his anointing his will his plan and we talk about it many different ways but as I said, I think we experience frustration in this process because of the way we think and live. And I want to look at some people in Scripture uh, that we would all look at and say, man, they were called, they were anointed, they were powerful, they were awesome. And I want to look and see what God did in their life. I think many people, when you come to a service like this, we know what to do. We know how to encounter the presence of God. We know how to interact with the presence of God, but we don't know what to do next. We don't know what to do from here. As we begin to move the mission by raising funds to help both this district and missionaries and efforts both here in North America and around the world, I just want to tell somebody today that you can make a huge difference in your world. You can shake your school with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can do incredible things for God. You can be a mighty man, a mighty woman of God, and you don't have to wait until you're 20. You don't have to wait until you're 30 or 40 to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. It can start now. Now to many of us that gets us excited, but at the same time I I feel that myself as a young person, many times I would hear statements like I just made and I would walk away not really knowing what to do. Sometimes I felt like, do I just need to go to my school and just get a Bible and just start smacking people with it? Like, hey, I'm ready, let's go. What do I do with this information, this motivation? So I want to look at three men in the Bible and look at the calling of God in their life and their journey and see what we can learn. These three men are Joshua, Gideon, and David. I'm going to cover a lot of ground and move quickly, but I'm going to share some things that God has laid so heavily on my heart. If we look at the story of Joshua, we know him as the leader of the people of Israel that took over after Moses. But let's look at some of the earlier portions of our introduction to the man Joshua. We see him in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, the Israel, Israel has to fight the Amalekites and Moses orders Joshua to take the army and uh, to fight them. And in Exodus, uh, Exodus 32, Joshua goes with Moses as his assistant uh, up on the Mount Sinai where Moses gets the stone tablet. So we see that Joshua was a warrior, and, but really he was a sidekick. He was the man that just helped Moses. He was a trustworthy man, but he followed after Moses and he helped in many different ways. And, but then we get to a key passage in the life of Joshua. In Numbers chapter 13, this is where the people of Israel have been freed from Egypt. They've been wandering through the wilderness. They've been going through all of these different things. And finally they come to the land that God has promised them. They're finally here at the doorstep of their promise. Finally at the doorstep of where God has called them to be. And Joshua is sent as one of the twelve to explore the land of Canaan. And we know the story, but out of the twelve spies that were sent, only Joshua and Caleb come back with a positive report. Numbers 13, the men come back and 10 of them say, yes, the land is amazing, flowing with milk and honey, it's so incredible, but the people that live there are giants. They're massive. We look like grasshoppers in comparison to them. And this is in, uh, in, in Numbers, now we see Numbers chapter 14, we look at Joshua and Caleb's report. Numbers 14 verse 6, it says, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb, uh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, 
he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And so we see that Joshua was an assistant to Moses before this, helping him, serving him. And when he's selected to go and serve and scout the land, he comes back with a good report. Even though there was only one other man in the entire kingdom that agreed with him. To me, this is so significant. Because here we see Joshua's character. And the calling of God on his life began as just being the assistant. Just helping somebody. It wasn't necessarily of of much intention or anything that he desired. But Moses just kind of ordered him around. But now when he has the opportunity to go and survey the land, he comes back. And he's resolute in his good report. Even though every one of his peers said, we can't do it. This is a terrible decision. And they actually convinced the rest of the nation. But yet we see Joshua stand firm in what he believes in God. What am I trying to say at the outset tonight? I'm here to tell someone that you need to get deep down in your spirit. That if you know something to be true and right and virtuous and a good report, no matter what it looks like, no matter what other people are saying, you need to proclaim the word of the Lord. When other people are saying it's impossible to do something, when they say it can't be done, you need to say, you know what? God is with us. Oh, but it looks scary. But that's okay. God is with me. Trust me. If God said we can do it, we've got to walk forward. I'm looking for someone that's willing to stand up to adversity, that's willing to stand up to peer pressure and say, you know what? The first thing I need to do is trust God. If he's called me to do it, I'm going to do it. Someone needs to be able to push back against peer pressure and declare that if God is for me, who can be against me? Joshua, this first thing, the first thing I understand is the things that aren't written We don't see anything about Joshua's life necessarily, but there's something in him that causes him to believe this good report when he was only one of two. There's something within Joshua that's maybe unwritten in Scripture, but there's something in his life, in his mind, in what God has called him to do that causes him to stand even when nobody else will. Next, I want to jump over to Gideon and Judges. You look at the man Gideon, we see him appear on the scene. Judges chapter 6, Israel had done evil in God's sight, and he gave them into the the, the hands of Midian for seven years. So they're in bondage, and you probably know this story, but an angel of the Lord comes in Judges chapter 6, and he sees Gideon. Gideon is literally hiding, just trying to survive, just trying to get by. And and the, uh, the angel Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. The KJV says, mighty man of valor. Gideon literally looks up and was like, me? What? And, and Gideon immediately goes into uh, uh, just this uh, a denial of everything the angel is saying. He says, if that's the case, then why did all this happen? Where are all the miracles I heard about? If God is really true, then why has he abandoned us? Then it says, God says in Judges 6.14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now, I would love to have that kind of direct word from God. That would be amazing. I think we would all say that's wonderful. But, but Gideon responds, how can I do it? I'm weak. I'm from the weakest tribe. I'm the weakest one in my family. And God says, I'm going to be with you. You see, what you have to understand about Gideon 
is that Gideon was a nobody with crippling anxiety, self-worth issues, no self-value. He hadn't even done anything for God. He didn't have any background in the things of God. He had doubts. He had little faith. He had little belief. But God looked at him and anointed him and called him. And look at what Gideon does next. Gideon is still doesn't believe it. He says, you know what? If this is really you, you're going to have to prove it to me. So God said, the angel says, okay, we're going to prepare an offering. Gideon goes and I'm paraphrasing, but he goes and he gets an offering and he brings it back to the angel and he sets it down. And, and what we see is that the angel takes his staff and, and he touches the offering and it is consumed in a fire. And so Gideon is amazed and, and he says, oh, it, it, it must be you. It's really God. Yes, I believe it. And, and the next thing that God tells him to do, he says, you know what? You've got to go and you've got to tear down the altar of Baal. Your father has set up an altar to Baal. You've got to pull down your father's altar and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. And then build an altar unto God. And look at the result of that. Now again, I'm moving quick, but I want you to place yourself in the story of Gideon. Because I believe there are some people that are like Joshua. There's some Joshuas in this place. That what God has called you to do, the first thing, maybe the thing you struggle with, is standing up against peer pressure. Standing up when you know what to do. Standing up when you know what's right. Before we even talk about the way we see the calling of God, which is standing behind a pulpit and preaching or, or being behind a piano or singing or doing something public, let's talk about the pathway to get to the calling that, the way we see it. Because I'm going to kind of dismantle that a little bit. So some of the people in here tonight, you're Joshua. And what you have to do is say, you know what? I've got a report from God. I know what God wants. I know what God has said. And I'm going to believe it, even if no one else does it. If I'm the only one, I've got to believe it. But some of you are like Gideon. And Gideon's problem was he didn't believe it himself. And he really had no reason to. He had nothing, he had nothing to show for himself. But yet every time God tried to anoint him and use him, he had excuses. Oh, I'm weak. I can't do it. Where is God? He's abandoned us. But now when he, he sees the, the power of God, so he sees an offering that's like us coming in here and worshiping and saying, oh, I feel something. Maybe God is really real. But the next thing that he has to do is God says, you know what? You've got to go down and you've got to tear down the idols in your life. You've got to tear down the idols in your house. And look what happens after that. Judges 6.33. Soon afterwards, the army of Midian and Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. So, the thing, things are, are heating up. The stakes are getting higher. The enemies are forming against them. But look at this, verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. And it said that he blew a ram's horn and everyone came unto him. He also sent messengers, all these different lands, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. What am I saying? In the span of a few verses, look, listen to me. In the span of a few verses, Gideon goes from a man hiding, believing that he can't do anything, not believing in himself, to being a man that is clothed in the power of God, calling people unto him to fight. How is that possible? Well, God anointed him. And then he went and got his house in order. When God spoke to him, when he had an amazing experience, he didn't immediately go and look for a place to lead. He went and got his private life in order. What I'm saying to us tonight is when God speaks to you, when God moves in your life, when you have an experience with God, the first thing that you don't need to do is go and look for a platform. The thing that we need to do when we have an experience with God is to begin to order our private life, to begin to clean up our own house, to begin to clean up our own habits. Before I desire to do anything publicly, I've got to say, God, I've got to get some things in order in my life. I'm talking about the calling of God. 
I know this may not be exciting, but it's what we need to hear. It's challenging because we want to be called by God, but we don't want to go through the process that it takes to get to God's calling. The third man I want to talk about, David. We see the story of David, maybe the one, one of the most well-known characters in the Bible, David and Goliath, this iconic story. First Samuel, God tells Samuel, who's basically the pastor over Israel, that he's rejected Saul as the king and he needs to anoint a new king. So David is anointed by Samuel to be king. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord left Saul and God sent him a tormenting spirit. So Saul's being tormented and he says, his servants, you got to find someone that can help me and soothe me. And, and the servants say, oh, there's a, there's a man who's very talented. He's a great musician. We'll go get him. And that man is David. Saul agrees. And, and so David becomes the servant of Saul playing in his courts soothing his spirit and the bible says that he stayed in Saul's service he became his armor bearer and so the life of David is going back and forth from the court of Saul just to be a servant to the king just a good old church volunteer David goes back and forth from serving at the court of Saul to go home and and help tend sheep so that's his life now again this is David okay after he's been anointed to be king now he's a servant so if it was us I'd be like, I've been anointed, let's go. King time. But no, David was anointed, but then his life didn't radically change. What did he do? He served in the court of Saul, and then he went home and tended sheep. So back and forth. So we skip around, we get to the verse, uh, we see that David comes onto the, the, the scene where Goliath is uh, you know, shouting a taunt to the Israelites, and David is ready to fight Goliath, and, and he goes to King Saul, and uh, when, when David is pleading his case with the king, the reason that he uses that he is able to fight Goliath is because he says that he has killed both lions and bears that came to steal things from his father's flock, sheep from his father's flock. Something that nobody else really witnessed but him. So I've, I've, I've kind of just set the stage of these three men and, and these three stories, and we're looking kind of at the early times in their life with God for this reason. There's, there's a singular point that I think we can draw from these three men, although they have different circumstances and different ways they're interacting with God. This is the thing that I think we need to understand about the calling of God over our life and God's will for our life, and it's this. Public victories are always preceded by private consecrations. Public victories are always preceded by private consecrations. Before David ever knew about a giant that was threatening Israel, he was fighting lions and bears when nobody was watching. In my life, I would say, and in your life, the lions and the bears are the temptations that we face, the things that we struggle with, and the, the sheep that, that David was overseeing that represents our life and our consecrations and the things that God has called us to protect and live out. So you got to understand, if you just put your, yourself in the place of David, there's nobody out there watching. Nobody sees it, but I don't know. It would have been easy for David to say, oh, man, there's a bear coming after a lamb. I'm not going to risk my life for that. Nobody will know. Nobody will know there's one sheep missing. I'm not going to do that. It's not worth it. I could lose my life. It's not worth the fight. 
But David knew something about his adversary that you need to understand about your adversary tonight, young person. That's this. He will never stop with just one thing. David knew, I've got to fight this lion right now because he's not going to stop with one sheep. He'll come back for more. Nobody is going to know it. No one is going to celebrate me. But I've got to fight this fight because this is what I have been entrusted with. So somebody, you need to understand this about the devil. You need to say, you know what? It's not worth even one thing, devil. I'm going to fight for everything that God has given me. I'm not going to give an inch to you. I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to protect my integrity because the devil will not stop with just one temptation. He'll take everything. Before David ever faced Goliath, he made some private decisions that nobody knew, that nobody celebrated, and that nobody cheered. Joshua looked in the face of 10 of his peers and a whole nation and said, no, we can take the land. Don't be afraid. I don't care what it looks like. The reason Joshua had the strength to say that in a public moment is because there were some unseen things happening in his life that prepared him. It's not even explicitly recorded in scripture, but you know that there were some private consecrations that nobody saw but God that positioned him for where he was. The only reason that Gideon went from the depressed, anxious, scared, and smallest man of the smallest family to a leader blowing a horn to gather the nations clothed in the power of God is because when God anointed him, he made some private consecrations before he ever looked for a public setting. He went and cleaned up his life and understood that if I'm going to do anything for God, if I'm going to lead anybody else, I've got to learn how to lead myself well. What am I saying? I'm saying that you want to do some public things for God, and that's wonderful. You want to see God use you in your life? That's great. You want to see the calling of God? That's wonderful. But you have got to make some private consecrations before you can ever live out what God has said to do in a public setting you've got to decide for yourself when nobody's watching I'm doing the right thing when no one else is cheering me on I'm going to do what God has called me to do when no one else sees it I'm going to be faithful public victories are always preceded by private consecrations that's the first thing I want you to understand the second thing we need to understand is this our calling is found on the road of serving, not on the road of seeking. What I mean by that is this. I believe that our calling in God, the plan of God for our life, can be found while we are serving others, not seeking for ourselves. Joshua was serving as Moses' aid, called to go scout the land. Gideon wasn't looking for a position, notoriety, fame. In fact, he was hiding just trying to survive. But our culture has sold us the lie that success is equivalent to fame and public success. And to get there, you have to look out for yourself. Jesus, when talking to the religious elite, said this in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want you to look at the circumstances that placed David at the scene of fighting Goliath. Again, the parallel I'm drawing here is we're looking at the story of David. King David, a, a man that was so mighty, that was so amazing, and we would all probably say, you know what, I would love to be used by God the way David was. That would be so incredible. I want to see what God has for me, and that's great. But let's really look at the nuts and bolts of what it is that David was called to do. What was it that positioned David to even be in a place to fight Goliath? 
We would expect it to be, you know what, God is going to speak to me. God is going to say something. God's going to tell me what to do and where to go. I'm going to pray. I'm going to wait. But look at this. It's very uneventful. 1 Samuel 17, verse 17. One day Jesse, who's David's father, said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. That is the scene that brought David into the presence of the battle with Goliath. Very unglamorous. Very non-exciting. Very uneventful. But that situation was the catalyst to David arriving on the scene of what was going to be the beginning of him stepping into his calling to be king. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? David was anointed king but wasn't looking for a crown. He was happy to serve. You want to be used by God? You want to be called by God? You want to do amazing things? Let me ask you this. Are you happy to serve? Are you willing to do the mundane things? Are you willing to just continue on doing what God has called you to do? Are you willing to just continue? All of these people, Joshua, Gideon, David, none of these men were looking for thrones. They served. They followed. They trusted. My message tonight is not a glamorous message. It's not even a hype message. But I believe it's the reality of what it takes to see the calling of God in your life. And even if there's just one person tonight that is truly diligently asking God, Lord, what do you want me to do? If you'll just tell me what to do, I will do it. If you just show me what to do, God, I'll do it. I'm looking for that person tonight. I'm calling to you tonight, young man, young woman. I'm trying to speak to you tonight. Because what all these men did is not things that necessarily look good on Instagram. It's not things that got a lot of likes. I don't think David posted a selfie, taking cheese, taking this bread to my brothers. Not me taking bread to my brothers again. <laughs> the greatest among you must be a servant. So you want calling, God's calling over your life? First, you have to understand that it starts with private consecration. And next, we need to know that the path to God's will is the path of serving, not of self-seeking, not of self-serving. Let's look at the moments of calling. When do they... When did they know that what they were going to do? When did it come to pass? Because that's what we want, right? You could say, okay, this is all great, but I just want to know, how do I know the moment that God has called me? And some people have that experience. Some people will, will say at an altar, I felt that God called me to preach. They'll tell you that story, and that's wonderful. I love hearing those stories. And, and we, we want to hear those stories, but sometimes we don't ask about the conditions that brought people to that moment. We're not curious about the process that they went through. We don't ask any, any further questions. We say, okay, great. I'm going to go and pray, and I'm going to pray every time God called me to do something. And our, we go to the altar, and we say, okay, God, I'm ready. Ready to be called. And that's basically it. That's like our process of God's calling. But it's not that. Again, number one, understand that it starts with private consecrations. Your calling with God starts with stuff that I will never see. That nobody will ever see. But if we get caught up in the idea that I want people to see how spiritual I am. I want people to see all the good things I'm doing. Then I believe you're starting off on the wrong foot. Second thing is, am I willing to serve people? Am I willing to serve God? Am I willing to do the mundane things? Because what we see is those are the conditions that actually led to the moments of calling. For some people, it is, it is a very specific moment. Like Gideon being called. But for some, 
It looks a little different than they would expect. And people like David, it was very indirect. So again, Gideon, he's called by God. Mighty man of valor. He, he basically does all these, puts God to the test. He tests God multiple times. But it gets to the point where he has 32,000 people next to him. I mean, this is great. That would be the moment where we would say, this is perfect. Gideon's called by God. He's clothed in God's power. Now he's got an army of 32,000 people. Let's go. That's what I want. Maybe not to be a little warrior, but I want God's calling, and I want exactly everything I need to win. Gideon went from being scared to having all these people, but that's not Gideon's story. You probably know this story, but his army went from 32,000 to 10,000, and then God took it down to 300. So, do you know what the calling of God on Gideon's life looked like? It looked a lot like God taking away all of the things that he thought he needed to win. The call of God on Gideon's life looked like God removing things that Gideon thought were blessings or necessary. So what do we do in a moment where we feel called by God, but then things fall apart? What do we do when we have a great moment? We go to a, a rally or a service, we hear a word preached, and we respond, and we feel great, and then we feel like we've got momentum, but yet things begin to fall apart around us. Because that's the story of Gideon's calling. Can you imagine? We, we know what Gideon struggles with. What does Gideon struggle with? Self-doubt. Gideon struggles with self-worth. Gideon struggles with anxiety. Gideon's the kind of man that struggles with depression, these kind of things. All of these things that led him to these behaviors. So can you imagine what it would have been like for Gideon? I thought you called me to battle. 300 men. But in Judges chapter 8, verse 7, God says, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory. For I have already given them over to you. The, the King James Version says, arise, when God is talking to Gideon. And this word doesn't just mean get up, but in Hebrew, it, it means to, to get up with the intention of fulfilling a command. Like the military term, attention. So when God says, arise, or get up, not only does he mean get up, but he means get up because something is about to change. Get up because something is about to happen. God told Gideon, if I gave you the victory with 32,000 men, then men could take the credit. But I want to give you victory with 300 men because I want the glory. You know what else I think is in the story of Gideon? Again, I said, what does he fight with? Self-doubt, self-worth, worthiness. So with only 300 men, after being abandoned by those other thousands and thousands, can you just imagine the self-talk that Gideon was going through? God, I thought you said you wanted me to give me the victory. All these people saw me with this huge army. How can I go with only 300? What are people saying? What are people doing? But God said, I don't want to give you victory over your self-doubt. I want to give you victory with your self-doubt. This is the thing we have to understand about God's calling. Sometimes we think, once I get over this, once I just get through this, then God can use me. But I personally, this is, this is not Bible, this is my personal opinion. I don't think that Gideon ever got over his self-doubt. I think he saw God's faithfulness through his self-doubt. Because when God says, you know what, I'm going to give you the victory with 300 men, I'm sure that Gideon had a lot of moments where he's like, this ain't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This can't work. But he trusted God. He walked into his calling. And when he saw the victory, I think then he could stand back and say, you know what, even if I don't believe, I can believe in God. Even the times I don't believe in myself, I don't believe I'm worth it, I can trust in God because look what he can do. 
Amen. That leads me to my third and final point tonight. You want to know what God wants you to do, and you want to have an idea of what it looks like. We want to know what our specific calling is. And I think for some of us, we need to kind of let go of this idea that I'm going to know exactly what the actions that God wants me to take are. Because the third thing we need to understand is this. Calling is more about identity than it is activity. Calling is more about identity than it is activity. You can't get a resume good enough to be worthy of the calling of God. It's not about what you've done or how good you are. It's about who God says you are. Gideon had no business being a leader. Gideon was a nobody, hiding, depressed, no self-worth. So for Gideon to be a leader, he had to believe what God said he was, even though there was no evidence to back it up. Think about it. The angel called him a mighty hero before he had done a single thing. Gideon had to start believing in his God-given identity, even though there was no activity to back it up. And that's what we struggle with. I know you haven't done anything yet. Let me just pretend like we're sitting together. I'm across the table from you at a, a lunch table. I'm not being mean, but I'm just telling you, I know you haven't done anything yet. I know you haven't done these amazing feats. You hear about pastors and preachers and people that have laid hands on people and people that have received the Holy Ghost, all these wonderful things. You haven't done that. I know that. You got no business being a leader. But you know what? God has called you anyway. I've got no business being a preacher because it's not about my resume. There's nothing I can do to be good enough, but also there's nothing I can do to be bad enough that God can say, you know what? You're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman. So somebody tonight, just like Gideon, he had no business doing that. You've sinned. You've messed up maybe. You've squandered what God has called you to do. Maybe you feel like I haven't done anything for God yet, but God said, mighty hero. Oh, I've made mistakes. You're a mighty hero. Oh, I struggle with self-doubt. You're a mighty hero. God, I struggle with anxiety. You're a mighty hero. God, I, I fight with all these things. You're not hearing me. You're a mighty hero. God, I don't believe I can do it. I said you're not hearing me. You're a mighty hero. So somebody, you're so caught up in what you've done or haven't done. But let me just say it doesn't matter that you haven't done amazing things for God yet because God is calling you a mighty man or a mighty woman right now. Because he knows what he can do. God did not create perfect conditions for Gideon to be called and used. You want perfect conditions. God did not create perfect conditions for Gideon to be called and used. He used him through imperfect conditions to show him that when I say you're a hero, when I say you're a mighty man, it doesn't matter what it looks like to you. When I call you, nothing else matters. When I anoint you, you can do it. Because our calling is more about our identity than our activity. Joshua chapter 1, we see that Moses dies and and again, we see this word in the King James, Joshua 1, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, unto the land which I give to them, even the children of Israel. God goes on to tell Joshua, be strong and courageous. You are now a leader. You're now, I've, I've called you into this moment. And some incredible things happen, and, and uh, the Israelites cross the Jordan in a miraculous way, and Joshua tells the people, you've got to consecrate yourself to God. But then we get to Joshua's first battle. Jericho. And we know the story of Jericho. And 
Well, the thing about this, what's so interesting to me is we see battles in the wilderness when Moses was the leader, the defeat of the Amalekites, this mighty war. You see when as long as Moses' arms are held up, they have the victory, these amazing things. But that's not the battle of Jericho. The battle of Jericho, if you remember, just briefly recapping, is basically just had to march around. Just, hey, march around Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6, you can read it. But he says, I want you to march around the town once for six days. Seven priests walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, march around the town seven times when the, with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. But what I want to take out of this, again, think about this. This is Joshua's first battle as a leader. But it's not a normal battle. In fact, this is the battle that the Israelites have been fighting in the wilderness for years. And it's a battle that we fight many times. We expect a fight to look one way, but it doesn't. The battle that he was really asked to fight that day was the battle of obedience. It wasn't a typical battle, war. It was obedience. It was obedience when it doesn't make sense. And we see this uh, paralleled in 2 Kings, another story. 2 Kings verse five, uh, chapter 5. There's a, a commander of an army that has leprosy, and he goes to the man of God, again, just paraphrasing, and and the man of God says, oh, here's what you got to do. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then you'll be healed. And the guy gets angry. This is his name. And he gets angry. He's like, I thought he would come out and, and meet me. I thought he would wave his hand over me and call on the name of God. And I thought he would do this stuff. And he's like, there's other rivers that are cleaner and better. Why would I go to this dirty river? But in verse 13, a guy with him, his officer, says, look, if the prophet told you to do something very hard, wouldn't you have done it? All you have to do is obey what he says. It's so simple. Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. So when God finally calls Joshua, okay, Joshua's done all these great things, he's seen all these wonderful things, he's been faithful to God, and now it's time for him to be the leader, for him to step up, and now he's got to march. So here's where you are, Joshua. You've trusted God. You've done all this stuff, but now it's time to lead. It's time to step into it, but it doesn't really look like what you thought it was going to look like. Really what it looks like to us is boring obedience. And again, I know this is not exciting. It's intentionally not exciting because the truth is maybe the call of God on your life right now looks like boring obedience. We want an exciting battle. We want miraculous things. Joshua, I'm sure if I was Joshua, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to storm. It's my first battle. Let's go. But God says, no, march. Quietly, actually. Just get up and walk. It's like, what? But what we see, though, is that because of his obedience, amazing things happen. And you are, in your life, you may be facing what looks like an insurmountable wall. And you're trying to figure out, how can I fight this fight? What can I do? It looks like there's no way through. looks like I can't do anything. How am I supposed to win this fight? But I'm here to tell somebody to be obedient to God, even when you don't understand how it's going to work out. Because obedience may be the very thing that causes the walls of the battle that you're fighting to come crumbling down. Maybe you've been waiting on God's calling your whole life. Well, here it is, but it looks like obedience. Maybe you're obedient, but you haven't seen anything yet. 
Keep being obedient. Maybe you prayed and you don't see the answer yet. Keep praying. Maybe you feel like God hasn't spoken yet. Keep believing. Keep asking because God is calling you to be obedient. I'm telling somebody, don't stop now. Just keep marching. Keep going forward. Keep doing what God has called you to do and you will see the victory. Be who God has called you to be. And finally, I want you to look back at David. I want you to think with me. When did God call David to be the king? Again, we kind of think sometimes, maybe it's just me, but sometimes we think about this anointing like, okay, I feel the presence of God. I've gotten God's spirit. Maybe you feel like that's the moment. Now I'm ready for God's calling. So we know that David was anointed by Samuel, but when, when did God call David and say, you're, now it's time to be the king? Or you're about to step into the path that's going to cause you to be the king. Because you got to understand, when Samuel anointed him, David went back to serving. David learned how to be really comfortable in the space between his anointing and his appointing. And that gap is where many of us lose what God has called us to do. There was a, a pretty big space between the moment of David being anointed to be king and actually becoming the king. So then I, I asked the question, when did David step into his calling and how did it happen? I want to go back to our key text, the first thing I read tonight. 1 Samuel 17, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt. Why are you coming out to fight? I'm a Philistine champion. You're the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. Look at David's immediate response in 1 Samuel 17, 26. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? That was David's response. When the time came, David responded like a king should. Saul was shaking in his boots, but David stepped up. You know the story. David's brothers doubted him. The king doubted him, but he trusted in God and stepped into what God had called him to do. So what am I saying? God, David didn't wait for God to say, okay, now you're king. Now it's time to start acting like a king. Now I'm going to open the door. No, he consecrated himself. He trusted in God. He served, and when the giant called, he answered. God has anointed us and chosen us, but many times we expect God to specifically call us to do an exact thing or have a moment of calling. But I want to tell you tonight that God has anointed you, but many times he will use the circumstances of your life to call that anointing out of you. So somebody needs to stop waiting for God to audibly speak and tell you what to do. Stop looking at battles and thinking that they're the delaying of God's calling. Maybe the battle is what God intends to use to call you into your anointing. Maybe the very thing that you think is a destruction is the tool that God wishes to use to call you. So what am I saying? I'm saying, get up. A giant is calling. Get up. A giant is calling. Goliath had no idea. He thought he was calling David into his destruction, but he was actually calling him into his anointing. I believe the moment that Goliath issued that challenge, David said, this is my moment. I cannot bear to watch this happen. I've got to do something. I've got to step up. Get up. A giant is calling. There are young men and young women in this place who are called by God. And God is trying to show you that he has called you in this season of your life. 
but you don't understand because all you see is a wall, but God has called you to be obedient. You don't understand because all you see is your self-doubt and the fact that you don't feel like you're worthy of it, but God has called you a mighty man or a mighty woman. But maybe some of you, you see a giant and all you see is your destruction and all you see is a battle and you don't see how God could use it. But I'm telling you that even though Goliath thought he was trying to destroy Israel, God was using him as the very mouthpiece to call David into his calling in God. Stand with me tonight as the musicians come. I know tonight, I would say, has been more of a challenge than a sermon. I would have loved to have prepared something whose intended goal was for all, just, all of us just to run and be excited and, and worshipful and feel just, just excitement. But I felt in my spirit that God wants to shift somebody's perspective about your life and God's calling. And it may just be a few, but I believe that if these men, if Gideon or Joshua or David would have misstepped, then maybe they wouldn't have seen what God was doing. And if you look at David, imagine this. Every day, the soldiers got up in the morning. They got their battle garments on. They came out to the battlefield. Goliath issued his challenge, and they all went back home, and nothing changed. Day after day, they did this dance. If I put in our terms, they... They got dressed on Sunday morning. They got their nice clothes on. They came to church, but they didn't really step out. They didn't really do anything. They didn't really fight any fights. And yet when David comes on the scene, he's not even the one that's called to be there. But yet when he hears the challenge issued, something in his spirit says, who is this man that he would defy the armies of the living God? What I'm saying is your circumstances that you're going through, those things that you see as a difficulty, that battle that you're facing, maybe you're even saying, God, please take this away from me. I don't want to fight it. But are we being more like the soldiers that refuse to do anything than we are like being like David? Are we being more like Saul, just saying, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? This is a giant. I can't do it. But if you understand your calling like David then you can step into a situation, recognize what needs to be done, and do it. What am I saying to someone tonight? Am I saying that God can't call you to preach in a moment? Yes, he can. He does that. But for many of us, my story is not one of I prayed and God immediately called me. My story is I just served. I just served. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a preacher. In fact, everyone said, oh, you're going to be a preacher just like your dad. I said, no, I'm not, just because you said that. But what did I do? I just served. I just served. And God began to open doors. And I just walked through the open doors. I became a, a youth pastor before I had my ministerial license. And I find myself in a room on a Wednesday night with 50 kids. And I'm going, here we are. That's my literal story of my ministry. Dave, you're David Bernardson. You should really know. Well, yeah, I'm David Bernardson. So I just, I grew up around everything. And I soaked it all in. But I kind of thought, that's not for me. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. And. I'm just going to love God and trust him and be a businessman and whatever. But my story is one of getting private consecrations right. I didn't get it right all the time, but I made it a priority. Serving where there was an opportunity. And then when the circumstances had come up, I said, I need to step into that. God, if you open it, I'm going to step into it. So here's who I'm calling to tonight. This may just be a select group, and I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. I'm comfortable with what God has given me tonight. First kind of person is Joshua. Again, let's go through Joshua. If you look at his life and the key moments of his life, 
Number one, he was willing to stand up when other people, even the people that should have been with him. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know anything about your youth group. I don't know anything about your church. This is not an admonition. I'm going to say my life and my church, me growing up. Sometimes the worst influences were the people that were supposed to be the best influences. And if I'm a prince of myself, sometimes I was supposed to be the good influence and I wasn't. Maybe you're a Joshua in here tonight. And you're like, you know what? God has called me to more. But because my friends, even my church friends, are comfortable with less, I just kind of go along with the story. I kind of go along with the report. I believe God is calling a Joshua tonight to say, you know what? You need to stand up. No matter what anyone else is saying, stand for what's right and do what's right. And be obedient. And maybe you're looking at a battle right now and you're like, man, this wall... Whatever it is I'm facing, I feel like I just can't fight through it. And the answer is not to fight through it. The answer is to be obedient. Just trust God. And when the time comes, the wall will fall. Not because you did anything magical or supernatural in your mind, but because God used your obedience. Is there a Joshua in here tonight? Is there a Gideon in here tonight? I'm talking to somebody that you love to talk about the things of God and hear people preach and all this stuff, but the truth is you just, you don't believe it for yourself you can believe for other people you can believe that God can use other people but if we're being honest you struggle with a little bit of self-doubt self-worth insecurity anxiety like I just don't know if I can do it I'm speaking to you tonight because God looked at Gideon and said I don't care that you have no track record I don't care that you've got no background I don't care that you don't believe what's going to happen let me just tell you right now you are a mighty man you're a mighty man You're a mighty man. So I'm speaking to somebody tonight. I feel this in the spirit. Listen to me. You're a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. And it's not about what you've been doing. It's not about your activity. It's about your identity. And God has called you. God has anointed you. You just got to trust God. It may not look like you've got an army of people around you. It may just be a few things. But if you trust God, he will give you the victory. Why? Because he's called you by who you are. God sees your sin, but he calls you by who you are in him. You're Gideon. You struggle with self-worth, self-doubt anxiety, depression, these things, but yet God wants to speak over your life tonight and say, I'm not calling you by those things, so stop calling yourself by those things. And finally, a David. David was willing to fight the battles when nobody was watching. David fought the lion and the bear when it wouldn't even have mattered. Maybe God is calling you when you say, you know what, you need to start fighting some private battles. There's some things in your life, you've been letting some things slide, maybe, maybe everything looks okay on the outside, but there's some things you got to get right in your spirit. If you ever want to be ready for the next thing that God has for you, if you ever want to be ready for Goliath, then you've got to fight some private battles because our private consecrations are what prepare us for public battles. So are you here tonight? Joshua, are you here tonight? Gideon, are you here tonight? Young man, young woman. David, are you here tonight? If you're here tonight, I want you to come down to this front and pray. Right now, I'm calling you. I'm calling you out. Because you want. if you want to be called by God, it starts tonight. If you want to be used by God, it starts tonight. It's not about me hyping you up. In fact, it may be uncomfortable. Because the calling of God is not as glamorous as we make it out to be. The calling of God is responding when God calls us. Is to make private consecrations in our life is to continue to serve. What am I telling you to do? I'm telling you to keep singing at church. I'm telling you to keep serving at church. It may not seem glamorous, but I'm telling you, it's the very thing that God wants to use for his glory. Yes, that's it. Let's let's press in. Let's press in. There's a response. There's people responding. That's great. And I'm going to pray with you. And our 
the ministers of the church are going to pray with you and the ministers of your church are going to come and pray with you but this is not about me this is about you and you making a decision you know the things that you need to change in your private life you know the people you need to stand up against if you're going to do something for God you know the decisions that you need to make maybe it's not glamorous but it's what God wants to be obedient to him to follow after him to trust in him wake up a giant is calling that situation you're frustrated about that may be what God is trying to use to call you don't be afraid of it step into it don't be worried about it step into it why because God can use it even that battle that you're angry about God can use it to call you even that thing you don't understand God can use it for his glory stop being afraid of that moment and step into what God has called you to do oh let's pray let's take some time and pray in this place in the name of Jesus let's seek God God is calling you, but it may not look the way you thought it was going to look, but answer the call tonight. It starts right now. If you want to be used by God, if you want to be called by God, it starts in moments like these, in private consecrations, in obedience to Him. Oh, let's pray tonight. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.